You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? Some of you feeling a little tired, losing that hour of sleep. There's hot coffee out in the lobby, so... Take advantage of that. Um, it is officially spring. I started mowing my grass for the first time this season, this past week, and so we are in. We are in the throes of it. And bring on the pollen, right? Um, yeah. So uh, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device. Um, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me to? Um, we're going to be in the very first book of the Bible um, in the Old Testament. There, Genesis. Genesis means beginning. And so ironically, they put it at the beginning. And so we're going to land there in just a minute in Genesis chapter 25. Um, Sarah and I, uh, this past week, we, were, we, were, we went out on a date. We were at a restaurant, and um, somebody had given us a, a gift card um, to a restaurant for pastor appreciation. And, and by the way, um, before I jump into this story, let me just say, um, many of you, uh, this, this past month in, in February for pastor appreciation, you showered us with, with cards and gift cards and gifts. Many of you gave to, um, uh, a pastor appreciation fund, um, through online giving. And, uh, I just want to say thank you so much, from the bottom of my heart, you know, around here we say that, that honor is our calling. And um, you guys rose to the challenge. Uh, we, we received a surprise last week because um, we have been planning a Disney trip for our family. And um, the, the church and, and pastor's council came with the money that had been raised through uh, the pastoral or uh, the pastor appreciation offering um, that many of you contributed to and said, hey, we're going to help you. Um, in your efforts to go to Disney. And so we're, we're able to get some upgrades and do some special things um, that we would not have been able to do otherwise. And so I just want to say thank you um, so much for how you honor me, how you honor my family, the way that you love and care for us. It is an absolute pleasure to be the pastor of Christ Walk Church. It's not something that I take lightly, and it's something that I love dearly and plan to be here and be a part of for a very, very long time. So thank you all so much. But um, we were we were enjoying um, some of those pastor appreciation gifts. And so we had gone out to this restaurant, and um, it was on a Friday evening, and, and there was a bit of a line and uh, with people waiting to get in and get a table. And so I was standing near the hostess stand. And the hostess was dealing with someone else. And, and I could tell that there were some people kind of coming up behind me. You know, I was, I was there at the front right by the hostess stand next in line. And, and you could kind of, you got the sense that people were kind of moving in because it was very busy and, and, and business was starting to pick up. And, and so the hostess got done um, doing what she was doing with another customer. And she turned to me and said, have you been helped yet? And before I could even say anything, I heard a voice from behind me say no, and then proceeded to tell about like how many people were in their party and what they needed the table for and everything. And it was in that moment that I turned and I looked over my shoulder. And you know the look that I had on my face. I was wearing my mask, so you know, the, the hostess and that, that person couldn't see it, but, but the look that was on my face. And, and I immediately turned into a five-year-old, and I got up in this dude's face. He was about 70 years old. And I said, hey, 
I was here first. And then I karate chopped him in the, in the throat. And when he fell to the ground, I stood over him and I said, you need to learn to wait your turn, old man. Okay, so I really didn't do any of those things because I'm a pastor. And I thought, you know, it'd be really weird if I did that. And he like showed up to church on a Sunday. That'd be like super awkward. But I did think about doing those things for probably way longer than I should have. Um, and so I just kind of stepped out of the way and let him go and do his thing and, and have his turn and then patiently waited for us to get our table. See, we have this innate desire inside of us to, to be first and to go first. We, we think that we deserve it, that just because we showed up somewhere before anyone else, that that, that somehow gives us um, a, a greater level of access than it does other people. And I experienced this, maybe some of you that are parents, I experienced this in um, the car pickup line after school when um, I'm picking up my kids and then trying to merge over into the exit lane to get out and cars just continue to drive by me, um, not letting me out. And, and, you know, they, they get one car length ahead and I'm just sitting there thinking like, I was here and how is one car length really going to help you like get anywhere faster? Like it's when I get so angry and frustrated or, or maybe you experience it at the buffet line. I know we all want to be first in the buffet line because if, if we go last, then all the good stuff is going to be gone. And, and then when you go last to the buffet line, all the food that's left over looks like it's been eaten already. And you're like, who brought this? Really? Like, why'd we invite them? Let's be sure and take them off the list. But it's FOMO. It's what it is. It's, it's fear of missing out. We've, we've convinced ourselves that if we aren't first, then we're missing out on something. And, and what I've discovered is that the human condition is, is that if, if we don't have what we want, then we will go to great lengths to be sure that, that we get it. Um, think about like when, when your kids, those of you that have had kids or those of you that have been a kid, um, when, when you were little or when your kids were little, um, if, if someone else had the toy that you wanted or the toy that they wanted, what happens? They don't go up to them and say, excuse me, but can I please have those Legos that you're playing with? No, that doesn't happen. They just walk up and say, that's mine. And they take it. So I'm playing with this now. Because you had it, but I want it. We'll, we'll go to great lengths. And, and, and our, our desire, our condition as humans is that, that I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get what's coming to me, even if it means that I have to take it from you. Because in the grand scheme of things, I am more important than you are. What I want takes precedence. I was here first, so I am going to go first, right? That's, that's how we operate. And, and the great theologian, Ricky Bobby, um, he said this. He said, if you ain't first, you're last. And then a somewhat lesser theologian by the name of Dale Earnhardt said, second place is just the first loser. And I really like these guys. I really like that I can get on board with both of where they are headed um, in their thought process. But the problem is, is that there was a guy named Jesus that said this. 
He said, so those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. So you hear that and you're like, wait, hold up. What? I don't really like that. That doesn't fit my agenda. That doesn't help me to accomplish the thing that I am all about accomplishing, which is to be sure that I get what is mine and that I get it first. Today, we're in part two of a series that we're calling also known as where we're taking a look at some of the individuals in the scriptures that had their names changed by God. And as we discover the truths Um, From the stories of these individuals, um, we'll be able to apply those same truths to our lives as well so that we can learn to view ourselves through the lens of how God views us and then totally embrace his plan and purpose for our lives. And last week in part one of this series, we talked about a man by the name of Abraham. He was, he started out as Abram and had his name changed um, to Abraham who fathered Isaac who was the child of promise at the age of 100. And together we learned that God always keeps his promises, that he doesn't need our help with fulfilling them, and that he's always right on time. And so today we're actually going to take a look at what we can learn from Abraham's grandson, who when we meet him in Genesis chapter 25, Um, we discover that his name is Jacob. And so maybe you turn there, Genesis 25. uh, We'll start in verse 21. Um, It says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins, but the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. Continuing on in verse 23, it says, And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. And from the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Now that's the promise right there. That's God's promise. That's his word to this family about who these children are and who they are going to be. That one nation will be stronger than the other and your older son will serve your younger son. And so God establishes his promise with this family. And so um, Isaac and Rebecca, they, they, were, um, they, they followed after God and, and his ways. And um, you'll notice that, that when Rebecca couldn't have children, Isaac prayed to the Lord, give my, please give my wife children. And when Rebecca saw that, that there were these two babies inside of her that were fighting back and forth and, and that this was crazy, unusual from anything that, that anyone that she knew, any story that she'd ever heard of was experiencing, she went to the Lord to find out what was happening. And that's where they received this promise that would guide the future of their lives. And so then we come to the next part of this chapter in verse 24. It says, and when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. And the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which is a Hebrew word meaning, or sounds like a Hebrew word meaning hair. And then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. And so this, this word Jacob or this name Jacob, it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for heel or heel grabber. It literally means overtaker or supplanter. And so when, when these twins are born, Esau comes out and they see this little arm extending from the womb that the body has yet to be fully born, but he's actually holding on to the heel of his brother, trying to trip his brother up and pull him back so that he can go first. And this sets up and establishes a pattern that will continue in the life of this little boy named Jacob. And so the... There's a few things that we can learn from Jacob's story, and I'm going to try to get through it as, as quickly and, and efficiently and effectively as I can, because there's a lot going on here. But there's some things that we can learn, a few things that we can learn from Jacob's story that, that when we apply them to our own life, we can, we can see maybe how we've gotten off track, how we've gotten things out of order, and how we can bring things back into a semblance of order to position ourselves to where God wants us to be. And the first thing that that we learn about Jacob very early on in this passage and in this story is that number one, Jacob got ahead of God's plan. Jacob got ahead of God's plan. That's where this thing goes wrong from the very beginning, that he got ahead of what God was wanting to do. The word of the Lord had gone forth. They knew what the promise was. They knew that Esau would end up serving Jacob. They knew that Jacob was going to be the one that was blessed. But Jacob, even from birth, got ahead of what God's plan was for his life. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write that down. Um, and so Jacob began to take. From an early age, Jacob became a taker. And he would take. If he didn't have what he wanted, when he wanted it, he would just take it and make it his. Because he knew what God's word was. He knew what the promise was. And he thought that he deserved to be and go first. And so that's how he lived his life. And it starts with a taken birthright. It starts with the taken birthright where he actually takes advantage of Esau's hunger. He takes advantage of Esau's hunger. And in our story, we continue to read in Genesis 25, uh, beginning with verse 27. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived from home, or arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. So we see kind of a divide in this family. You have Isaac who loves Esau. Esau is, is, is daddy's little buddy. Right, And he's going out in the field and he's doing all the man things and everything. Jacob, on the other hand, Rebecca loves Jacob. Jacob is a mama's boy. He's always, he's a homebody and he's staying home. He's staying close to mama. He's hiding behind her apron. He's in the kitchen. He's cooking with her and everything. And so there's a, there's a divide that is being uh, presented in this family from the beginning. The story continues. It says, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, a nickname, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Verse 33. 
But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, meal, then got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now we see that this gap is widening. We see that here are two brothers, they are twins, and, and the younger is now taking advantage of the older, and he's, he's taking matters into his own hands in very much the same way that we saw Abraham taking matters into his own hands. And, and, and we know that when we take matters into our own hands and we don't, we don't leave uh, our trust and, 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 and place control in the hands of God, that that's when things get off kilter and out of whack. And so this has started to happen in the life of Jacob. So first, um, he takes the birthright by taking advantage of Esau's hunger. And then the second thing that he takes is he takes the blessing of the firstborn uh, by taking advantage of Isaac, his father's blindness. Now, there's a big, long passage in, um, in Genesis that continues this story. But rather than read it, I can just kind of tell you what happened. Isaac was getting up in age, and so um, and he felt like his time was coming to an end. And um, he had experienced health problems. He was blind and uh, uh, um, was kind of on the downward spiral, and he thought, now is my time for me to, to pass along the blessing to, um, to my children uh, before, I, before I pass away. And so he told Esau, he said, go out into the field and um, uh, kill one of the wild animals and bring it back for your mother to prepare a meal for me so that I can eat what I want, and then I will bless you. And so while Esau is away out in the field, Rebecca overhears what's happening, and she goes to Jacob and says, hey, go get a couple goats um, from the pen, and I'm going to prepare them for your father. And um, while Esau's gone, we're going to go in, and I'm going to send you in and, and trick your father so that he'll give the blessing to you. Because remember, Jacob was the one that she loved. She didn't want Esau, the one that she despised, to be getting the blessing. And so they killed these goats, and, and um, Rebecca prepares them, and she takes the goat skin and puts them on Jacob so that he'll be hairy like his brother. And um, Esau had left some clothes behind there, and so she puts the goat skin on him so there's hair, and she puts Esau's clothing on him so that she'll smell like, uh, so that he will smell like his brother. And she sends him in with the meal to Isaac, and Isaac is like, wow, that happened really quickly. And Jacob replies, well, the Lord helped me um, in my skills as a hunter. And Isaac recognizes the voice of Jacob. And so at first he's suspicious that he's being tricked. And he says, come, come closer to me, my son. And so Isaac reaches out. And, and when he touches Jacob, instead of feeling the smooth, uh, the smooth skin of Jacob, he feels the hair of the goat skins that are on his body. And so he says, okay, you sound like Esau, or you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Now come closer so that I can smell you because remember he couldn't see. And so he takes a big whiff and he gets this, the smell of, of Esau's clothes or he's been out in the fields hunting and, and doing all of those things. And, and so you can imagine the stench and he says, you sound like Jacob, but you feel and you smell like my son Esau. So let me pronounce this blessing on you. And so right about the time that he is done with the blessing, Esau comes in from the field ready to bring this meal to his father and to receive this blessing from him. But Jacob has taken advantage of 
his father's blindness and has taken the blessing that was Esau's as the firstborn. And later on in Genesis 27, we learn this, verses 35 and 36. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, usurper, supplanter, overtaker. For he has cheated me now twice. First, he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. And see, despite the promise of God, Jacob felt like he had something to prove. That's what he was after. He was after, I'm going to get my, I'm going to, I'm going to show myself. I'm going to make sure that I get what's supposed to be coming to me. And here's the interesting thing as I read this passage. And as we look at this, Isaac would have known what the word of the Lord was. Rebecca would have known what the word of the Lord was. Esau and Jacob, they both would have known what was spoken over them, what the word of the Lord was. Yet they all continue to feed into this deception and trickery and, and disbelief, having their trust in the wrong places. And we'll see over the course of this family, it was, it was a pattern in this lineage. God blessed Isaac, who was the secondborn, instead of Ishmael, the firstborn. God blessed Jacob, who was the secondborn, instead of Esau, who was the firstborn. God chose Judah, who was the fourthborn, for the lineage of Christ, rather than Reuben. Out of the sons of Jacob, Reuben was the firstborn. Jacob's older sons would end up bowing down to Joseph, their younger son, who was actually 11th in line. And when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, he actually crossed his hands so that the secondborn son received the blessing of the firstborn and vice versa. We, we see this pattern being established in the life of this family. And ultimately, all of this situation, everything that's taking place here, and the mess that, that Jacob has now created, and that, that even Rebekah has, has fed into, and Esau and Isaac as well, it's ultimately due to a lack of faith. That's what it boils down to. It's a, it's a lack of faith, especially on Jacob's part, because he knew what the Lord had spoken specifically about him, but he was unwilling to put his faith and his trust in the Lord and just let things play out. Instead, he felt like he had to deceive and trick and scheme his way to get what he wanted, what he deserved. And I love this quote from Pete Quist. Pete Quist says, faith is living without scheming. Faith is living without scheming. It's a, we don't have to do anything in order to make it happen. That, that God's promises, they're just going to come to pass in our lives. And we don't have to put our hand to anything. We don't have to game the system in order to set up God for a win. He's got it under control. So faith is living without scheming. Faith says, I'm taking my hands off the wheel and Lord, I'm letting you drive. That's what faith is. But instead, Jacob chooses tricks instead of trust. He didn't depend on God. And, and when, we, when we choose not or to not depend on God, ultimately what we're choosing is to deceive ourselves. 
When we choose not to depend on God, we ultimately choose to deceive ourselves. We're, we, we deceive ourselves by thinking that our strength or our abilities or our resources or our knowledge or whatever, that it's better than what God has to offer. But all of those things, they pale in comparison to what God has for us and what he wants to give to us. And so Jacob, this whole time, he may thought he may have thought that he was deceiving others, but ultimately he was only deceiving himself. And it pushed him outside of God's plan for his life. And how many of you know that we can't live outside of God's plan for too long without eventually having to face the consequences for doing so? Right? We may get away with it for a little bit, but at some point, it's going to come back on us. In Genesis 27, the end of that chapter, verses, uh, beginning in, in verse 41, it says, From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. So now Jacob's scheming has turned into Esau scheming. He says, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plan, so she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. Verse 43. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. And stay there with him until your brother cools off. And when he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Verse 46. Sorry, not yet. So the second thing is that Jacob was forced into an adverse position. He was forced into an adverse position because he had schemed, because he had treated his family this way, because he had usurped and supplanted and, and overtaken his brother and he had deceived his father. He's now forced to run away. And so he's gotten himself away from his family. He's gotten himself away from his homeland. He's gotten himself in a position that God never intended him to be in the first place. And the idea here is very simple. You've heard it before. It's that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We plant apple seeds, we get apple trees. We plant orange seeds, we get orange trees. That means that we get to choose the kind of harvest that will take place in our life. Because we determine what we plant. And so, since we determine what we plant, we also determine what we're going to harvest, right? And so Jacob had determined to plant deceit and trickery. And so we're getting ready to find out what he's going to harvest in his life as a result. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. And so since Jacob sowed deceit and trickery, that's exactly what he ended up receiving at the hands of his uncle Laban. Now his mother had sent him there and originally he was only supposed to stay for about a month. She thought that that would give Esau enough time to cool off and then she would call uh, send for Jacob and then he would come back and that everything would be hunky-dory. But while Jacob was there, the Lord began to bless Laban. 
because the Lord still had his hand on Jacob's life. The promise was still true in who Jacob was going to be, even though he had gotten things off track. The Lord never left Jacob. And so Jacob, through Jacob, Laban's household begins to get blessed. And, and so um, Laban wants him to stay around. And, and ultimately, Laban wasn't interested in Jacob's God. He was only interested in the blessings that he received because of Jacob's God. And so he saw Jacob as a tool to be used. And so he makes a deal with Jacob to work seven years in order to marry his youngest daughter, Rachel. And so Jacob works for seven years, and it comes time for him to marry Rachel, and, and everything is set up, and they, they have the wedding. And, and in this time, you need to understand that, that um, the, women's, uh, the women's faces, they would have been heavily covered. You, know, you just would have seen their eyes in this culture and everything. And so Jacob goes through with all of this, and he even spends the night with this woman only to wake up the next morning and realize it wasn't Rachel. It was Leah, her older sister. He had been deceived. He had asked for the younger, but had gotten the older. You see the connection, the pattern um, that, that's taking place in here, where, where Jacob had pretended to be the older, even though he was the younger. Now it's coming back on him. And Laban says, in, in our culture, the way that we do things around here, I can't marry off my younger daughter unless I first married off my older daughter. So, so you, got, you got Leah. And he says, wait a minute, I worked seven years for Rachel. And so he makes a deal. You can work seven more years in order to get Rachel. And so he works another seven years for Rachel. And again, the Lord is blessing Laban and, and, and his household and his flocks are growing and increasing and everything. And, and um, so Jacob has now worked 14 years for this man and he has ultimately nothing to show for himself. His wages keep getting changed. Uh, Laban is a terrible, terrible person. And Jacob is getting paid back for what he sowed in the earlier part of his life. And he realizes that it's, it's getting time for him to return back to his homeland, but he has nothing of his own. And so he strikes a deal. Um, he strikes a deal with Laban to, uh, to, to take all of, the, all of the, the spotted and the speckled parts of the herd, um, the ones that aren't pure white, take all the ones that are spotted and speckled. And he says, we'll separate those. And, and he makes a deal with Laban that all the ones that are spotted and speckled and striped, those will become my flocks. And then all of the ones that are, that are pure white, those will remain with you. And so Laban makes this deal with him. And he says, absolutely, we'll do that for six more years of work. And so what Laban does is he actually, he takes all of the, all of the, of the sheep and the goats and, 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 and the cattle and everything that were a part that, that had the, the stripes and the speckles and the spots, and he gives them to his sons, and he takes them a three days journey away so that only the pure ones are left. And, and so Jacob has nothing to, to start with because the, the spotted and the speckled ones, they can't, they can no longer, um, uh, interbreed with the pure ones so that they'll all uh, have offspring that are spotted and speckled. And once again, Laban is, is deceiving him. And, and Jacob, in this, in, this, uh, in this moment, he results to some superstitious, um, superstitious actions uh, by peeling the barks uh, of branches and putting them in the water uh, trough in order to, to see to it that, that when the sheep mate, when the goats mate, that they would come out 
um, being different colors. And, and so instead of placing his trust in God, he's, he's putting his trust once again in, into tricks and, and into deceit and trying to force this stuff to happen. But despite all of that, the Lord continues to bless him and, and the flocks begin to reproduce and, and they're all spotted and striped and speckled. And so Jacob, uh, his, his flocks begin to grow and, and the deal that he's made with Laban is now, it's now backfiring on Laban and Laban is getting very upset. And so he find, Jacob finds out that, that Laban is very, very angry with him, and, and he's fearful for his life. And so in much the same way that he ran to Laban, he's now running away from Laban. And so he, he gathers his wives, and he gathers all of his flocks, his possessions, and, and while, while Laban is away shearing his sheep, they, they get the heck out of Dodge. Because they're afraid of what's about to happen. And so they're running from Laban. And Laban learns that Jacob is running away. And so he, with his, with his people, they begin to chase Jacob. And, and Jacob soon learns that now Esau is in front of him coming the other way. And so Jacob finds himself ultimately between a rock and a hard place. His deceit caused him to always be on the run. He was never fully grounded. He was never fully settled. He was never right in the place where God wanted him to be. He deceived and then ran from Esau to Laban. He deceived Laban and ran from Laban ultimately back to Esau. And so now he finds himself in a position that causes him to run right smack dab into the Lord. Because eventually... When we choose to live our life recklessly like this, when we choose to put ourselves first, when we choose to, to seek after what we can gain and, and what belongs to us, we will eventually experience our day of reckoning. And so with Laban on his heels and Esau up ahead, Jacob is finally left with no other choice. He bargains with Laban for his life and they make an agreement to not harm each other. And not cross certain boundaries and stay away from each other's families. And then he takes this, this flock, this, the, these sheep and, and goats and cattle and everything that, that he's amassed. And, and he divides them into groups and he starts sending them ahead uh, with his servants as gifts to his brother Esau. Livestock and other valuables in order to appease his brother. Because he doesn't want his brother to kill him. And then... Having sent his family one way, his flocks the other way to his brother, having left Laban behind him, Jacob then finds himself all alone at the camp. Or so he thinks. Genesis 32:24 says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. A man came and wrestled with him. Jacob was all alone, but a man shows up. This is actually what many scholars believe to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who comes on the scene. And, and in this really kind of odd story that we have here in the scriptures, he wrestles with Jacob, who is all alone at this camp. And I believe ultimately the takeaway from this scene here in the scriptures is to remind us that when we get to the place where God is all we have, we'll suddenly realize that God is all we need. When we get to the place where we realize that God is all we have, then, then we'll come to the realization that, that God is all we need. And, and so he's literally sent everything away that he has. And, and for the first time in his life, he is all alone and has nothing to show for it. And that is where God shows up. And God wrestles with Jacob. Jacob. 
because the day of reckoning was to determine, Jacob, are you going to live your life your way or are you going to live it God's way? That was Jacob's day of reckoning. He had to choose. And you and I are forced to choose. Are we going to live our lives our way? Based on our desires? Based on uh, us going first and getting what belongs to us, what we deserve? Or are we going to live our lives God's way? And so we find out in this story, point number three, is that Jacob surrendered to the God of the promise. Jacob surrendered to the God of the promise. And that is what made all the difference. His willingness to surrender in that moment is what made all the difference. Genesis 32, 25, uh, beginning in verse 25, it says, When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and men and have won. See, it was at the moment when Jacob finally released control of his family, his possessions, every part of his life. That's when God showed up to meet him face to face. But had Jacob been holding tightly to everything that he owned, everything that he thought belonged to him, everything that he thought he deserved, then he would not have been able to hold on to God in that moment because his fist would have been clenched, wrapped around all of those other parts of his life. In that wrestling match, Jacob winds up with a busted hip, which is a reminder for Jacob that his dependence was on God and God alone. And it's in the places where where we're broken that serve as a reminder that that's where we need to lean in with a greater level of trust in the Lord. And it was that day that God said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're no longer going to be called the heel grabber, the trickster, the supplanter, the, the, the overtaker. Instead, you're going to be called Israel, which means God prevails. God prevails. And to prevail means to to be or to prove superior in power, strength, or influence. To succeed, to become dominant, or to win out. See, initially, Jacob was concerned with his own self prevailing. But now, God had prevailed in his life. Jacob had allowed, finally, for God to come first place. So instead of taking, Jacob in that moment realized that God is a giver. And then when he left that place with every single step that he took, oh, my hip, oh, my hip, every single step, he remembered that he was not dependent upon his own abilities, his own strength, his own tricks and deceits to get what he wanted, but rather he's dependent upon God and God's blessings and God's timing for his life. So I think this story tells us that the only thing that we ever need to take is to take God at his word. That's what we need to take. And so I I think it presents a question for us today 
that when we stack our lives up against Jacob's, against Israel's, we, we have to determine, are, are we going to live our life as a taker? Or are we going to choose to be a truster? Are we going to take? Or are we going to trust? Are we going to do everything that we have to do to, to get what we deserve? Or are we just going to trust God for it? See, we, we have God's promises to us in his word. But many of us prove that we don't really believe them because of the way that we behave, because of the way that, that we conduct our life. See, we want what we want, and we want it how we want it, and we want it when we want it. And the world has convinced us that we have to trick and deceive to get ours, to get ahead, to be blessed. God's word shows us that all we have to do is just hold on to him. If you want to be blessed, that's all you've got to do is just hold on to God. And it's out of this, this passage, this unique wrestling match between Jacob and the pre-incarnate Christ, we see that that God blesses those of us that are humble and broken. Jacob got to the place where he was humble. Some of it by choice, some of it because he was humbled by the situation that he was experiencing in his life. He was all alone and he realized he was a broken man. And then God physically broke him as a reminder of that. Because that's the place God wants us to be in so that we can receive his blessings. He tells us in James, the brother of Jesus writes this, James 4, 6, he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus said it himself in, in Matthew 23, verse 12. He says, but those who exalt themselves, those who choose to, to put themselves in first position and say, it's all about me, it's all about I'm going first, I'm going to get mine, and you can get out of the way. Those who exalt themselves will be humble, and Jacob was. But those who humble themselves will be exalted, and Jacob was. So the main takeaway that I see in this story, in this life of Jacob, is this. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. It's our pursuit of God's promise can't take the place of our pursuit of God. Our pursuit of God's promise can't take the place of our pursuit of God. See, his whole life... Jacob was pursuing after something that ultimately God had promised. It was a good thing. It was, it was in accordance with the word of the Lord, but his priorities were out of whack. He spent so much time pursuing the promise that he failed to pursue God in the process until he met with him that day all alone. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. I'm going to do whatever it takes, as long as it takes. And it was in that moment that he proved that he was fully 
dependent on God. So we can't allow our pursuit of God's promises in our life to overshadow and overtake our pursuit of God. Because the truth is, if we'll just pursue God, his promises will take care of themselves. If we'll just pursue God, his promises will take care of themselves. If we'll humbly pursue him, his promises will follow in the wake of that. So how about you? Where do you need to take God at his word today? Maybe in your marriage, your family, your relationships with your kids, your finances, your health, your job. Where's that area of your life that you would say, you know, I haven't been taking God at his word. I haven't been living in accordance with what this book says. I'm not in alignment with God on this subject or in this area. Where do you need to trust in the promises that are found in God's word? That you're healed, that you're whole, that you're called, that you're chosen, that you're forgiven, that you've been set free? What areas of your life do do you need to lean into those promises that you've started to believe the lies of the enemy? Instead, you need to return to alignment and and, and get get your mind right in accordance with what God, the promises that are found in God's word. Some of you today, where do you need to surrender once and for all? Open handed, open hearts. Where do you need to surrender once and for all to the God of the promise? You've been striving so desperately for the promise to be realized in your life. You've been working so hard to make it happen, yet you fail to realize that it's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's up to God to bring that stuff to fruition. And so instead of striving after the promise, you just need to surrender to the promise maker. For some of you, maybe in this room, maybe watching with us online today, first step towards that, the first step to that kind of surrender is just by stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ and calling on him as Lord and Savior. If you're here today, if you're watching with us and you would like to do that, I want to invite you to pray this very simple prayer. We pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. God, I pray that for every single person within earshot of my voice, Lord, I pray that you would help us to heed the promises of your word that you've spoken into and over our lives, but to not get caught so caught up in the pursuit of them that, that we fail to pursue you in the process. Lord, I pray that in each and every person, Lord, that, that we, would, we would get out of the one spot and that we would put you and even others in front of our own needs and desires and wants. God, that we wouldn't be a taker 
but that we would simply be a truster, that we would put our complete trust in you and what you have declared for our lives. Lord, the things that you've done for us, who you've called us to be, the identity that we have found in you. God, rather than resulting to trickery and deceit, Lord, help us to just depend on you in every single area of our lives. Create in us humble hearts. Lord, don't let us hide those areas of brokenness, but instead, let us highlight those areas as the places of our lives where we're leaned further in so that you can do your greatest work. Lord, I pray that in this house and all over this community, Lord, that you would raise up sons and daughters who would simply do whatever it takes as long as it takes to just hold on to you until you bless them. you would prevail. Lord, prevail in our hearts, prevail in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would prevail in marriages today. I pray that you would prevail in households today. Lord, that you would prevail in in, in people's health. Lord, in their finances, Lord, in their jobs. Lord, all over our community, that this would be a place, not that we prevail, but that God prevails. And that we're just simply holding on to him to receive his victory for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.